sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I'm Nate Larkin, here as always with our inimitable co-host Aaron Porter. Through the marvels of modern technology, we are speaking uh, over the worldwide interweb. Hi, Aaron. How are you, man? Yeah, I am good. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. You know what? You know, you sound good. You don't always sound this energetic. Uh, You're drinking anything? You you had your coffee? What's happening? I'll tell you why. (laughs) Wow. Coffee. There's got to be some substance involved. Uh, I have realized that over the last number of months, it's been a a hard season, Mm -hmm. but I had slipped back into an old habit from when I was very young of always uh, having someone that I explained everything that was hard that was going on. Yeah. And I, there, there came a certain point where I realized that that was my tendency and I could choose to find good things that I was grateful for that I spoke about first. It didn't yeah. mean that I hid hard things or denied hard things, but that I didn't choose for them to be central. And mm. I realized uh, five days ago how much I had slipped back into that. And so wow. for the last five days, I have really concentrated on not giving the details of the bad first, but finding things I was grateful for. And usually wow. by the time I was done uh, saying anything I was grateful for, I didn't feel the need to get into the details of the shit. Yeah. And I almost immediately started feeling better, ironically. Oh, how gratitude is a solution to many things. So, uh, yeah, I, I genuinely have felt better. And I've also grieved a little bit that when certain bad things have happened, I have wanted to tell those people in my life that I give those details to. I've even written to them and said, man, I want to tell you the stuff I'm not going to tell you right now, but I'm going to give you the things that are good. And then we'll see what happens. Um, Wow. So it's, it's hard, but I, I am. I'm groping my way back toward that. Well, you know, it's interesting that you should mention gratitude. Uh, I, I saw, in fact, just this this week, I was reading uh, neurological research on gratitude. Gratitude is one of the most heavily studied uh, subjects in neuropsychology. In the last uh, few years, there's an enormous amount of scientific interest in the power of gratitude. And it's now been shown that, uh, you know, the deliberate practice of gratitude actually changes the brain. Uh, it's one of the most effective treatments in the world there is for, um, for depression in many, many cases. Uh, and it does everything from... Uh, 
reducing imp- it shows that uh, uh, research has shown that uh, it'll reduce your blood pressure, it'll reduce inflammation, it'll strengthen your immune system, and it certainly increases your capacity for empathy uh, and kindness. And uh, and it's free, and there are no known negative side effects to being grateful. <laughs> Isn't that phenomenal? Yeah. No, I, I it I it is painful to have walked through hard seasons of life with as many hundreds of people as I have and have tried to help them with their gratitude. And then when I hit the wall, what's the first thing that goes out the window? Gratitude. (laughs) Let me, let me focus on the bad. Yeah, and, and man, with anybody else, you can see how damaging that is. Yeah. But man, when you're in the middle of it, so anyways, yeah, I'm, I can't I'm tell you how many times in the last twenty years when things have started to go sideways for me, when I've tra- traced it back and realized, you know what, I stopped doing that damn gratitude list, uh, and then pulling out the journal and starting the day again with an extensive gratitude list and finding that there is a way to regain traction. Yeah. Can, can you explain for those listeners who have never been in a 12-step group what a gratitude list is? Yeah, this is, you know, this is almost standard advice given by sponsors to sponsees, people, uh, especially those uh, getting started in recovery. When we all, we come in with a story, a tale of woe, uh, and life really is terrible, uh, we're probably mostly in the habit of blaming other people because we're kind of in a victim mode. We haven't yet fully accepted responsibility most of the time. We're doing a run, a lot of running hunting, but life is shitty and it looks shitty and it's very dark. And um, that um, that's pessimism, you know, leads to despair that addiction just feeds on. And one of the greatest, one of the most powerful antidotes is simply gratitude. So it's standard practice, really, for an experienced sponsor to say to a sponsee, as, as one guy did to me on a very memorable day when I was certain I was going to act out. There was no way around it. Uh, and he said, get out a notebook. Uh, 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 he, he even told me it wanted to be, he wanted it to be college ruled. Uh, you know. <laughs> Why was that important to him? So there'd be more lines on the page. Okay. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And fill an entire page with things I was grateful for. Um, and then uh, and then call them back. And I was astonished. By the time I'd finished filling a page with things I was grateful for, uh, how the, the, the craving and the sense of doom that it engendered had passed. And I suddenly I had the confidence that I was actually going to make it through the day sober. Uh, later on, he directed me to that, uh, that spot in Romans chapter one, where Paul describes humanity's descent into depravity and says that because they did not honor God and were not grateful or thankful, God gave them over to a reprobate lust. So, um, you know, this is especially germane to those uh, of us who, uh, who have pursued lust to a destructive end. Lust tells me that I need something I don't have and I need it now. 
Gratitude sends the opposite message. Gratitude tells me that I have plenty, that I don't need anything. And, uh, and that's why I think it's such, and also, um, gratitude puts me in a place of humility. I see that I have been blessed. I am not deprived. Uh, I get down off my entitled high horse and live in some humble gratitude for a moment. It's a very, uh, calming spiritual place to be. I, Uh, I hear, I hear people talk from time to time about healthy shame and I get mm-hmm. what they mean. I always mm-hmm. want to be really careful with that phrase because shame is so toxic in the general sense of what it is, that there is something yeah. wrong with me in a non-gospel way. Yeah. But I think that aspect of humility is so important. When I am deeply in my victim head where I am so fed up, I'm sick and tired of all the crap that everybody else is doing to me. Yeah. Then when I turn to gratitude, all of a sudden I feel that it's what people mean by healthy shame. I feel embarrassed by that entitled, uh, arrogant, I deserve better attitude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what that is, is, is true humility. Mm. And again, it's, it's that one thing that we're called to do. So many of those, those Christian virtues that we strive for are fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. We need to surrender the Spirit for. But humility is that thing that we are told, humble yourself. You do this yeah. work. Yes. And gratitude is, is the doorway, I believe, into true humility. Because you can't be an asshole and be grateful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, gratitude leads to contentment. And the Bible tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, so uh, so it, it, it remains a mystery for all the positive benefit that I have gained during the last 22 years from those gratitude lists. Uh, how... Uh, consistently inconsistent I am. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'll just stop taking the medicine. Uh, What is it about that? Uh, And then I start start to feel sick, and then I remember the medicine. Yeah. Hey, at least you remember the medicine. Usually takes me (laughs) an incredibly long time to remember I stopped taking the medicine. It's not even medicine. It's, It's dessert. There I, I you stopped go. remembering it was actually enjoyable every time <laughs> I went there. But yeah. I'm going to keep taking the poison instead of eating the dessert. Yeah. Give me three things you're grateful for today. Oh, well, I am incredibly excited, grateful that my son is going to be here in six days. My first baby boy who left the nest and went back to California. Uh, I am finally experiencing what it is to have a child come home for Christmas. And man, it is just, I am lit up by that. Uh, I am really grateful for some time that I got to spend with my youngest son today, 
who oh, evidently really? has needed glasses for years, but has not mentioned it because he didn't want to wear glasses. Oh. And he and I went to the optometrist for the first time and had such, there's something about getting to be with a kid who's kind of afraid and embarrassed and all those types of things. And it was just great. Uh, such a good time. And I can't wait till his glasses come in and he can experience seeing things <laughs> that I didn't know he hadn't seen for years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, the biggest thing that I am grateful for today is the change in how life feels. Uh, now that I have stopped being a whiny bitch that once again, realizing that the dessert still tastes sweet, even though I forgot about that for a big chunk of time. Yeah. And yeah. even though I still have a deep desire to eat the poison so deep. Um, but the, this has been a consistent number of days where I've actually tasted that this is better. Good. And I just feel grateful for that. Awesome. There's your three. You want more? I, I love want it. more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let me give you three, my three, top three for today. I am grateful. I'm grateful for... Um, Good medical care for uh, my wife and me, especially for Allie. She went through a series of medical tests today, and we are in the hands of very capable doctors. That is an enormous blessing, and I'm so grateful. Also very grateful today for this amazing group of friends I have. Um, uh, I don't have to do – I am not left to my own resources in anything today. I got people helping me in all my weak spots uh, as long as I am uh, willing to ask for help. I, I've got people who stand ready to do it. Not everybody can say that. I couldn't say that for the longest time, and I can say it today, and I'm extremely grateful for that. And, uh, uh, and I'm, grateful, I'm grateful for meaningful work. Um, to, to have a sense getting up every day that, that what I'm doing not only is putting food on the table, but is in some small way being used by God to make the world a better place. Um, again, that's, that's a humbling realization because uh, if there's anybody who should not have the privilege of doing this work, it's me. And yet I get to do it. So I'm very grateful, very grateful for that. Awesome. Well, with all those notes of gratitude, uh, we're going to turn this over to an interview that you had a few weeks ago without me. Uh, yeah. And it was great. I haven't heard <laughs> it, it was. It was. Our, our listeners are going to love Noah Filipiak, uh, young, young pastor guy out there. Um, uh, talking about porn openly and using that as, uh, you know, just using that massive lever that we now have in the culture to actually move people and 
and and bring hope and bring change. Uh, he's a delightful guy. It was an entertaining, informative, and enlightening conversation. I think I think our ris- listeners are going to love it. So stick with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Our guest this week is uh, a pastor and an author. His name is Noah Filippiak. He's the pastor of the Ada Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the author of a book, a new book, Beyond the Battle, A Man's Guide to Identity in Christ in an Over-Sexualized World. Man, if a title ever had a Samson ring, that's it right there. Uh, And uh, ever since I saw the title, I've been itching to talk to this guy. Welcome, Noah. Thanks so much, Nate. I appreciate it. So, hey, you're a pastor who, like, talks and writes about porn. You talk, like, out loud about it. I do. I do. I know. I know. (laughs) There needs to be more of us out there. Oh, don't. Well, wait, 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 wait. Are you insinuating (laughs) That Not porn that there is needs a problem to be more. In the <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. You could rephrase that. Not that there needs to be more pastors who have looked at porn or are looking at it, but yes, there needs to be uh-huh. more pastors talking about uh, our own stories as well as yes. just the the massive amount of men and women uh, in the church that are struggling with porn. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you said men and women. Yeah, uh, I do feel I have some sympathy for our sisters in Christ who get ensnared in pornography because they have kind of this added layer of shame because somehow, especially in the church, it seems to me, we have categorized porn as a male thing. Uh, that that so there's even an e, uh, you know an added layer of perversity and shame and all that kind of stuff. Reluctance to kind of say the thing out loud. Wow. Um, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you before we get kind of get started on exploring, uh, you know, the different strands of the issue. Can you can you tell us a little bit about your story? How yeah. did Noah Philippiak? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Uh, where did you encounter pornography? How did your interest in uh, this kind of Christ-centered recovery? Uh, you know, where, where, where does it have its roots? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, yeah, I was born into a family that loved Jesus. Uh, I, I was raised mm-hmm. in good, you know, Bible churches and started following Jesus and committed my, you know, my life to him at a, at a young age. Uh, and mm-hmm. honestly, always, as, as my, my whole childhood genuinely loved Jesus. There, there, there never was a sense of a, a double life or uh, things like that. What, what happened? So, so mm-hmm. as of uh, today, I am 37 years old, and I share that with my story because I really think that how old you were when the internet became uh, mainstream uh, is mm-hmm. indicative, I think, of of pieces of your, your story with pornography. So for me, I say that because when I was in around seventh grade or so, so just on the onset of puberty, 
that was when the internet be, was uh, becoming yeah. mainstream in people's homes, like a television uh, or a phone, you know, would be. And so my, yeah. my parents, my Amer- America online, yes. America online. Yeah, ex- yes. exactly. America we're, online. We're 28 and, eight modem. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, good. The dial up internet and all these things. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so my parents, and I think the church as well, were just caught flat footed, right? Like they didn't, yeah. no, nobody thought that this uh, middle schooler who loved Jesus would start looking at porn. I mean, I think yeah. my parents probably thought I was just as likely to beat up a kid at school and steal his lunch money as I would be, you know, to start looking at, yeah. at internet pornography. And so it was simply never talked about. It was, it was never talked about at church. I, I went to mm-hmm. uh, church and youth group, you know, three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I went to every single uh, youth camp, uh, you know, youth sure. retreat that you possibly could go on. Never once was porn uh, talked about. So I was in uh, hit puberty, and for me, it uh, began with I would say things. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm I don't know how 12, 13 years old, and I I don't know if the stuff I'm looking at is wrong or not. At the time, I was taking the the bra and underwear ads out of the Sunday newspaper. And taking sure, her into my right. room and and masturbating, and I'm not, you know, I'm not t- talking to anybody about this because you know this isn't something you, that you bring up in in that culture. Uh, but it it grew from there, and it grew to where uh, that that would be when we got the internet. And so I had made this yeah. deal with God. I remember as a 12, 13 <laughs> year old. Okay, God, I'm I'm just gonna I'm not gonna look at at, at naked women. Cause uh, you know that'd be wrong. So I'm just gonna look at these, uh, you know, swimsuit edition, and right. that's that was what got me going. And uh, certainly, um, that in and of itself has all of its own issues to it. Uh, but as we know, sure. porn and the the endorphins and the addiction it, it it escalates where you need a greater stimulus in order to to get yeah. your high. And so yeah, quickly escalated from there into. Uh, pornography. And by that time, I knew it was wrong and I couldn't stop and I wanted to stop and I had nobody that I could talk to about it. And so um, that's how I got ensnared for me. And then I'll try to give you kind of the bullet points of the rest of the journey from there. Um, When I was 16, I got caught. Uh, my, My parents found the history on the computer. I was very repentant, glad to be caught. Uh, a week later, yeah. I, I figured out how to delete the history, and I was back, you know, into my, <laughs> into my addiction. Um, so my my freshman year of college, I'm studying to be a youth pastor. I went to Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, so I'm I'm at a Christian school. I'm still looking at pornography, and that was the first time that I shared my porno- pornography addiction uh, with anybody. It was an RA in the dorm. It was a friend of mine, a guy that I trusted. I respected his walk with Christ. And that was the beginning of my path to freedom of that six or seven year addiction, sort of chapter one of my yeah. of my story. Uh, found community, had found guys to talk to about this. We started doing small groups around this subject, and I found freedom uh, up until and through I got married. So I was uh, married at a pretty young age. I graduated college a year early, so I was 21 years old, uh, married, <laughs> and thought that even some of the sexual purity books I'd read had sort of taught me that if I stopped looking at porn, if I did things God's way and 
this was certainly taught indirectly to me growing up as well, that if you if you saved yourself until marriage sexually, which my wife and I had both done, uh, then yeah. God, God would, would you would sort of have this sexual utopia in, in your marriage and uh, right. did not have a sexual utopia in my marriage. Uh, I was um, a youth pastor and about a year and a half into being a youth pastor, I actually planted a church. So I was 22 when I started a church planting process. I planted when I was 23. So now I'm a, I'm a senior pastor, and, and my marriage is on pretty shaky ground. Uh, three years into my marriage, my wife and I were discussing a divorce. Uh, I was very tempted to go into a lifestyle of promiscuity, and I had fallen back into looking at pornography again. And that really was the crucial pivot moment for me in my life. I was 24 uh, when I when I got to the deeper level, the heart level of why I wanted to look at pornography and why I wanted mm-hmm. uh, to be with other women. And it didn't have to do with my wife. It, it had to do with my appetite for affirmation, my appetite mm-hmm. for uh, for validation. And, and, uh, and a lot of uh, even arrogance that I was going to God and saying, God, give me what I deserve. You owe, you owe this to me because we had this deal. And God in his mercy uh, was able to shift that into an, an attitude of, um, well, we'll put it this way. He said, you don't want me to give you what you deserve. I, I, and I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I know what I deserve from God. Uh, I deserve his, his wrath uh, apart from him. Sure. And that humbled me to a point where I, I stopped praying, God, give me what I deserve. And I started saying, God, thank you for what you've already given me uh, in your mercy on the cross, uh, the gospel that you've given me. And also thank you for what you've given me in my wife uh, and in the life, mm-hmm. just the life that I have. And it turned from a life of entitlement uh, into a life of contentment. And, and then my head was above water to, I would say, find the, the root and deal with the root issue of, of, of that sort of unsatiable appetite that I'd had for uh, sexual sin up to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Um, before you, you got your nose above, nostrils above water and you could start to breathe again, uh, did you— Tell me about your efforts, if you're like me, because my, my story very much mirrors yours. You beat me by two years on church planting. I was 25 when I planted a church. <laughs> nice. You beat me by two years. Uh, but I know the agony of being ensnared in pornography while being a pastor. And for me, it was while I was a pastor that 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 I actually crossed the flesh line into prostitution. Uh, but in those dark years, even before I was a pastor, certainly during adolescence, uh, I made many valiant attempts to uh, repent. To, uh, that's how, what I understood, yeah, understood yeah. I was doing. And to control uh, the behavior, to, to, to gain some mastery over it. Did you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, and uh, that's sort of the, uh, the underlying message of my book title, Beyond the Battle, is yeah. we often call it a battle as if it's all about our willpower. And Mm-hmm. I, I talk about, I, I actually never did this, but uh, a friend in college uh, told me he was trained, he had a rubber a rubber band on his wrist and he was trained to snap yeah. it uh, whenever he, you know, masturbated or something like that. And I, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, it was, um, 
I remember, you know, high schooler trying to sign. And, and, and to be clear, I, 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 I wanted out. I, I, I felt like garbage mm-hmm. uh, after, uh, you know, after every time I looked at porn and masturbated and I felt this, this distance from God. And I would uh, put X's on my calendar on the days, you know, that I looked at porn and masturbated. So, so I was trying to, sh- I was trying to, to um, you know, use that as motivation to stop. I, I, I would, uh, write, you know, memorize ver- Bible verses and stick Bible verses up around yeah. my room. And, uh, I would try to, yeah. you know, try to recite them. And, uh, I would repent openly to God, not that it was ever mm-hmm. preached on or that I could talk to anyone about it, but between me and God, I remember oftentimes during worship songs, uh, you know, I, I, I in a spiritual high moment, God, I'll, I, I repent, you know, I'll, I'll never do it again. And there was a, a whole bunch of, of behavior management, but but never getting to yeah. the root of of why I was actually so hungry and thirsty for these things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, there is that line that Paul uh, gives us when he talks about, in the, I believe it's the first chapter of Romans, man's descent into depravity where he says because they did not honor god as god and were not thankful or mm. grateful god gave them over to a reprobate lust um it's kind of this uh it, it's very interesting to me it, it, it took me a while to connect the dots in recovery i really needed help from a wise sponsor to see the connection between my ingratitude and my sense of entitlement and the lust that was just driving me and, and, and was out of control. Because lust says, I don't have what I need and I deserve more. Yeah, That's really the message of lust, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and when I can get to a place where um, I am grateful for where I am, I realize that I don't deserve more than I have. In fact, I don't even deserve what I have. <laughs> and I can cultivate gratitude for all that I've been given. That takes the the fire and the fuel out of, out of lust makes it possible now. Uh, yeah. So, but it's more than that. It's more than gratitude. It's, you're talking about, uh, a fresh and and clearer understanding of our identity in Christ. Yes. Yes. Unpack that. Yeah. That's huge because, you know, I, I've told my wife this and I, and I added a little note at the beginning of the book to her, uh, where I wanted to make sure she knew that I was I was looking to her to to give me what what only Jesus could give me, and there, there's no there's no wife on the planet that that can give you know their husband yes. what what only Jesus can give them, and this is where it becomes a, an even playing field for single guys. Uh, married guys, and uh, and also uh, been able to minister to a fair amount of same-sex attracted guys through this as well, mm-hmm. where we we all are looking to a a relationship. Uh, we're we're looking to sex to give us something that only Jesus can give us. And for me, and for all of us, that thing is found in our identity in Christ. And we yeah. we all have different stories. Uh, but we all have people in our past who have told us, who have rejected us, and who have told yeah. us we, we aren't good enough. And yeah. so then we, it's subconscious often, and we carry that message around, and then we look towards the, 
either a sexual relationship or a marriage uh, and or, you know, a marriage and or pornography to basically for, for me, it's almost like like uh, I picture some kind of a assembly line where somebody has a red rubber stamp and it either says, you know, accepted and they go into the, the pile of accepted or, you know, er, denied, you know, yeah. and they go into the other the other pile. And and for me, my drug of choice is a, uh, a, a, a you know, sort of perfectly bodied woman who accepts me. And and that mm-hmm. is what gives my, uh, my, you know, call it my flesh or, or whatever you want to call it, that sense of value. That's the thirst uh, that that hunger that I have, and the only thing that can actually satisfy that thirst is is being able to experience that I already have that in my identity yeah. in Christ. And there's a couple yeah. for me. There's yeah. a couple key verses that have helped me a lot. Uh, Colossians one twenty two is a big one for me, and it just talks about how when the Father sees us. He sees us as because of Jesus. So it talks about because of what Jesus did for us and his his body sacrificed for us. When the Father sees me, because I'm his son, he sees me as holy, mm-hmm. without blemish, and free from accusation. And yeah. I love that. It gives me such a sense of value and meaning. And I've been able to connect that with the Father's own words to Jesus uh, before he goes into the wilderness. So the very end of Matthew 3, when the Father, uh, Jesus gets baptized, and the Father speaks to Jesus, and he says, this is my son whom I love and in whom I'm well pleased. And I'm able to hear those same words from the Father to me because of Jesus, because I'm in him, because Romans 8 tells me I'm a co-heir with Jesus. And that is more value and acceptance than I could ever dream of finding uh, fr- from any woman. And so when I have that, I'm able to have a healthy marriage uh, with my wife without all of these these unrealistic uh, expectations for her to, f- to fulfill in me. But I, I think that's the, the our, our culture is so, the reason our culture is so obsessed with sex is because we're a bunch of broken, you know, people, my, myself included, yeah. walking around trying to find another broken person. And we think, Two broken people will make us whole, and uh, that yeah. that just isn't the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how has this um, fresh perspective? Well, it's 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 the amazing thing about the gospel is it's so fresh and new every time we discover it. But it's mm. this, you know, it's this ancient, timeless truth that's been there all along. But we get fresh eyes, we catch a glimpse of it, we see it, and it's just a revolutionary sight. Um, how has this fresh understanding of your identity in Christ impacted the way you see and relate to your wife? Yeah, that's huge. Um, I mean, my wife would say I'm a different, I'm a different husband. I'm a different person. I, I, I mean, mm-hmm. we've been married now for 16 years, and I've had to. We've had some hard conversations where I've I've told her. Um, I didn't know what love was when I, when I first got yeah. married. I loved her yeah. as much as I could with what I thought love was. Um, yeah. My wife was very pretty. And, you know, for me, it was the first really pretty girl that shared, you know, feelings, uh, you know, for, for me, like reciprocal. Yeah. And, um, yeah. 
she she called me out on that in in a, a conversation in in recent years, kind of even in like our healthier time of our of our marriage. Yeah. And I had to I had to have make a hard confession of saying I I loved you because she said you you it feels like you know you married me because I was pretty, and that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty hard conversation to have you know with your wife. Yeah. And yeah. to to look back and say. My definition of love, uh, it that, that's not what love is. It's a very selfish. It's a, a, very, a very selfish definition of love. A very self-serving mm-hmm. definition of love. And I, I love that little line in First Corinthians thirteen. I forget which verse it's in, but it's in the list, and it just says, "Love is not self-seeking." And yeah. my love for my wife was very self-seeking. And I think for a lot of guys in that dating. Uh, period, it is very self-seeking. You know, we're trying to, who makes me feel good? Who makes me feel that value, yeah. that that acceptance? And so now, the to answer your question, it, it frees me to truly love my wife as a person. Uh, I don't yes. I don't see her as a sex vending machine. And, and that's mm-hmm. something that a lot of the old uh, paradigm of sort of, quote unquote, you know, sexual purity books that I that I read, uh, they kind of taught me that. They taught me, don't look at porn. Instead, right. look to your wife. And But they never use taught your wife. use your wife, sort of as porn. Yeah. And they never, yes. taught, they never taught me not to objectify her. And so yes. I'm objectifying my wife as a, as a vending machine. And it's, it's yeah. no wonder we don't have a healthy marriage. Uh, and so right. um, now I have the freedom to see her as a human being, a daughter of God's made in his image and and to I think truly live into my marriage vows right where where I can truly yeah. love my wife for better or worse uh, richer or poorer you know it doesn't matter w- what kind of physical shape her body's in and and, and what you know yeah. what our sex life is like and all these sorts of things all these conditions that that were very self-seeking and so, uh, man, I praise God for that. It hasn't come easy, uh, and praise God for His grace that you know He's kept us together to to do that hard work together. But I would have never been yeah. able to do it um, with that old mindset, you know, that I had before. Yeah, yeah, you know. And though I never would have admitted it, really, that I was objectifying my wife, I don't think I had the emotional intelligence or even the moral clarity to see it at the time. I do believe that my wife felt it. Mm. I think she knew. She knew in what I called our intimate moments, in which there was precious little intimacy. There was uh, sexual activity with that, but I wouldn't call it intimacy. I wouldn't today. I think she felt used. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, uh, And today, thank God, she most of the time, I think, feels seen. Hmm. And it was amazing to me how much more beautiful my wife became after I stopped looking at porn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a porn blinded me to the beauty of my wife, her physical beauty, and um, just the, the beauty of the person that she is. Uh, it's, it's really tragic uh, what porn is able to do to us in that regard. Well, uh, so here you are. You are an exceptional pastor because you're talking uh, about porn out loud. How do you see, what kind of response does that uh, evoke in the culture where you're serving there in Michigan? Yeah, that's a great question. And 
I, I have two unique experiences to draw from. So I planted a church, uh, you know, 2006 through mm-hmm. uh, 2019. So I was the senior pastor, and you know, I'm sharing my story regularly about pornography, either in a sermon, mm-hmm. a whole sermon on porn, uh, or or a series on sex, or often I would just pepper it in to teaching that I would do. And sure, right. we were a small to medium-sized church. Uh, you know, everybody knows everybody. Uh, and right. there was certainly a... So, so that's that's experience A. And then without getting into the, the long story of it, now um, for the last year and a half or so, uh, I've worked... So to... <laughs> I laugh a little bit. If anyone from Ada is listening, uh, they'll they'll laugh when I correct this. So I'm not the pastor at Ada Bible Church because Ada okay. Bible Church is like this 10,000 person, uh, you know, oh. four, four campus church in Grand Rapids. And so yeah. uh, I am a pastor to the young adults. And so uh, there's, okay. two, there's two of us that pastor the young adults, like ages 18 to 35, uh, so certainly a great age, and 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 we both get to teach and and you know talk about mm-hmm. pornography and and so it's been it's been two different experiences though, and it's interesting because I will say this, and and I think I can say this without I think people I work with if they were listening would would agree. Um, there's a certain culture at a larger church where I don't have as much. It doesn't. I don't have quite as much freedom. Well, certainly, if you plant your own church, you have a lot of freedom, right? To kind of do, sure, <laughs> right, right, do whatever right, you right. want. I don't you have to screw it up as much as you want. Yeah. <laughs> as much, yeah. <laughs> I don't have as much freedom uh, to talk about um, pornography as I used to. And, but I will mm-hmm. say this: uh, when I talk about it, and when I talk about it, you know, in guest speaking environments. Um, there is a difference between a, a church culture that's used to hearing pornography uh, and, yeah. and, and one who hears it for the first time and says, uh, whoa, <laughs> you know, you just said that. You know, you just said that from yeah, the stage, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, and yeah. so um, I, I, uh, I, so, so it's a, I, I'm in a bit of, a, I would say, um, so in, in before COVID hit, uh, you know, yeah. it's changed everything. We had uh, in my sort of short time there working with the young mm-hmm. adults, we had planned. So we do like a Tuesday night sort of worship gathering, and it's it's pretty good size. It's it's it was the the same size as my church, you know, my whole church back in in yeah, Lansing, right. where I senior pastored, and we, uh, we had planned to do a series on sex and on porn, which is awesome. Uh, and, you know, there's going to be some testimonies of some guys and of some uh, young women who had struggled with yeah. pornography. And I was going to share my testimony and to start some some groups that could, you know, help around these things. And then COVID hit and we decided uh, that the people giving their testimonies didn't want to give them over uh, like a Zoom platform or a, a recorded yeah. platform. So it's kind of been it's kind of been put on hold. Uh, and so it's uh, I I stutter a little bit in answering the question only because I'm not in charge anymore. And so that, um, that does, that does make it that, that makes it a challenge. My personal philosophy though, is that this should be uh, preached on and it should be, it should be talked about because the, the statistics are, are just unfathomable. And there, there has, 
if if we're not talking about this in church, you know, not that it's the only topic ever to talk about, but we should be right, talking right, about right. about real issues that are that are really, right. and people don't always initiate it themselves in a small group situation. I think often sure, we right. we think that that'll get talked about in small groups, but if you don't talk about it from the stage, how yeah. will they have permission to talk about it? Yes in their small groups. So yeah, uh, I would say it, it is extremely fruitful to talk about, which, which really we did for, we did for 13 years. And quite frankly, uh, if you look at the statistics of listens on a podcast or YouTube of sermons, uh, those sermons got listened to the most. So take that for yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, in non COVID times, I do a lot of speaking typical year i'm about three weekends out of four i'm someplace and i've it, to me the the places i go to speak kind of fall into two categories uh the ones that are the, in a lot of ways the most fun are the ones in which pornography has something that has been talked about it's kind of a natural part uh but they're ready for somebody else to come in a different voice a different mm-hmm. perspective to kind of open up another part of the conversation um and then there are those churches where um, the pastor knows this is this is nobody's ever talked about it, and we have to talk about it. <laughs> and he also has this feeling that he's he can't do it. He's got to bring in a sex guy who can talk about it. Yeah. Um, and and so the first time the subjects get raised is is when I talk about it. And that <laughs> typically, that can just be so awkward and, you know, oh, hard. I'm glad to do it, but it can really be tough. Now, uh, I don't know why I went off on that. <laughs> but if you've had that same experience, the two different kinds, sometimes you, you're, you're, you're going with the flow and then sometimes you're preaching against the current and the current is so strong. Have you ever done yeah. that? Well, I'm yeah, sure yeah, because in, in, you're describing a place where it's a stigma uh, versus a place yeah. where it's not a stigma. And in the place yeah. where it is a stigma, uh, everybody's just faking it. I'm not saying everybody in there is looking at porn, uh, but probably a, <laughs> a fair amount are. And yeah. they're just not talking about real issues. You know, they, they come to church and they kind of play church and do church. Uh, and, right, and you right. get up there and now you're making things uncomfortable because yes, those aren't things we we do here. You know, we don't talk about those real <laughs> life issue yeah. things here. And so, yeah, yeah, it's a totally, totally different, uh, different culture. Yeah. And oh, I'll tell you when it's really tense is when you're speaking not just to a male audience, but to... Uh, uh, you know, co-ed audience, you got sure. husbands and wives, boyfriends sure. and girlfriends together in the room and you bring up porn for the first time. And, 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 you know, sometimes if looks could kill, cause now you're setting up conversations in the car on the way home. Right. <laughs> yeah. Have studiously been avoided for years. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. But then it's always, it's always great to get the, uh, the emails afterwards from, from the, you know, that percentage of people for whom that was a pivotal Sunday. Oh yeah. And they, they saw light they'd never seen before. They found a door they didn't know existed, and that's that's the great reward of doing that work. And 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 that well, happens almost every single time. I think you know every time yeah. the subject brought up, there's somebody, and it's not always someone you would you you would you would pick, and they just say, "Thank you, I've been struggling with yeah. this. I am struggling with this. I need help." And and boom, now you now it's ready for for 
God to do his work. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Well, uh, what, what plans do you have now? You've got the pot, you've got the publication of the book. Uh, is Zondervan, uh, issuing the book. Did you initially do it as a, as a self publish? Yes. Or am I, am I getting, yeah. No, okay. you're, it's, it is a bizarre story. I'll, I'll the very brief account. I saw, uh, so yeah. the indie published, uh, back in, uh, late 2017, early 2018. And so I've yeah. been doing, doing my groups. Uh, <clears throat> my, I, I had been trying to get published. I wasn't able to get published. I had a bunch of guys who were ready for the book and for these groups. And so yeah. got sort of sick and tired of the publishing process and indie yeah. published. We've been doing, so these online seven week, we were doing zoom before zoom was, you know, cool yeah. for COVID. We <laughs> been nice. doing uh, nice. seven week zoom groups, but doing those for about two years. And so that's uh-huh. just been a big part of my personal ministry um, so the book's called Beyond the Battle, and that website is beyondthebattle.net. And yeah, I mean, without getting into the whole story, it's it's a cool story. But this last spring, um, through some conversations with Zondervan, they're they're publishing the book again. And so the nice. the book will be uh, it's already updated, and the uh, the I added a whole bunch of new material. And what's cool is it was added from those two years of doing groups with guys. Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing groups with guys. Fantastic. We're reading the book over and over again. Guys are sharing their stories, m- more depth and more depth. All that was added to the updated edition of the book. And I'm super excited about it because it's going to be an even better tool. Um, so yeah. that book comes out in July and they yeah. just posted like the pre-sales for it now. Um, but that's that's pretty exciting stuff. And but we're we're allowed. We got permission uh, to continue doing the groups um, using the old book uh, up until the new book comes out. All right. Hey, I want to learn more about this these groups. I want Samson guys to hear about this group. Yeah. Samson Society. We are we are strong on connection. We are short on curriculum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so any you know, uh, and all our guys. Uh, or a very hot, large percentage of our guys, you know, hungry for yeah. you know more equipment, you know, more information, clearer understanding. Uh, man, a seven-week online, you know, a, a, a group uh, sounds freaking fantastic. So, it, will the groups be open to guys outside of Grand Rapids, uh, people who aren't part of your church? Could a Samson guy from Guam, for yes, instance, get yeah. in? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So the groups are, uh, they're online groups and we've had, uh, do a lot of work with Covenant Eyes. And so they, they send out the links to the, you know, their whole worldwide email list. We've had people from, uh, China, Zimbabwe, South Africa, a bunch of, you know, European countries. It's been awesome. It's been really, really fun. Um, and also, and, and I'm sure you, you've, you've picked, you've gotten the You've been blessed by this with Samson as well. It's really cool to see God at work around the world, you know, to be and these yeah. are my brothers in Christ all around the world. God's in, doing his work. So, um, so absolutely. Yeah. Um, we have a group, a new group starting uh, the second week of December and then another group starting the first week of January. And I do think they complement the Samson experience well. So it is, okay. uh, it's, it's seven weeks and it really is a heart level 
it's it's hard to say it's a resource kit. I mean, it's a heart level transformation. It's giving you tools and truths at the heart level. And then if you're if you're already in community like Samson guys are, it gives you stuff yeah. to talk about in that community. It gives you oh, tr- nice. truths to be reminded of. I need to be reminded of this gospel truth. I need to be reminded of yeah. this piece of who I am in Christ. Uh, we, it, we, we talk uh, quite a bit in the book about rewiring ourselves to see women you know, as God's daughters and, and not as objects. And so I need to be reminded yeah. of, of that specific truth. We talk quite a bit about fantasy and embracing reality instead of, you know, wasting our life in fantasy. So I need to be reminded of that specific truth. And so uh, at the end of seven weeks, I actually send guys off into Samson. I, I send guys over, <laughs> over to Samson Society so they can have uh, community to talk yeah. about this, this stuff with. But I think this okay. really gives a, a heart-level toolkit um, as much heart change as you can have in seven weeks. We've seen God do some amazing things, yeah. and then I want to get yeah. guys in community to keep to keep those truth reminders going. Oh, fantastic, fantastic! All right, uh, give us that web address again. What's the best way for guys to get connected with the groups? Yeah, beyondthebattle.net. That is the okay. that is the website, and everything for the groups will be right there. Okay. Well, Noah, this has been a wonderful conversation. So great to get to know you, at least now, over the internet. And uh, yeah. next time I'm up in the Grand Rapids area, we're going to have to get a cup of coffee. That would be fantastic. All right. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, stick with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. What an excellent conversation with Noah and Nate. The double N's. Yeah, as I told the guys, you know, at the retreat, I was very nearly Noah myself. That was it was a point of negotiation between my parents as they were waiting for my arrival in this world. My dad was pushing hard for Noah. Uh, he loved uh, the Webster's uh, Dictionary, uh, authored by Noah Webster. I, I, it was crazy. I almost was named after Noah Webster. <laughs> I, okay. Okay. That's weird. Right. <laughs> it is. I come from a weird family. Yeah. I mean, there. I had strange heroes in my childhood, but Noah Webster wasn't one of them. <laughs> you go, Noah Webster. <laughs> you classy wordsmith. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. Noah Noah in the Bible is such an interesting guy, uh, and I just kind of like that he fell apart a bit after the flood and yeah. plants his vineyard and has this whole nude sleeping episode. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just encouraging to me that the Bible does not leave out the ridiculous behavior of its heroes. And God still uses Noah's of, uh, in every generation 
And whether they name me know it or not, uh, you know, I still turned out to behave like an idiot a lot of the time. <laughs> and uh, aren't, aren't you just so grateful that, that uh, the Bible makes it plain that God chooses people like us uh, to accomplish uh, his purposes. And nobody I, is ever I, so flawed that God can't use them. I'm just glad that the Bible makes it clear that there are no people except people like us. And, ah, there and, you go. And anybody like who pretends to be otherwise is selling something or planting a church. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's a quote, man. Yikes. It was a little cynical. I apologize to the listening <laughs> <laughs> apologize to all our church planters out there. Uh, right. well, yeah, I'm sorry. You're all awesome and nothing like Noah. And by the way, Aaron and I have both planted churches, so I think we can poke fun. <laughs> we can poke fun. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners, uh, we are coming up on the Christmas Day, the celebration yeah of the the incarnation come on it's exciting this is a good it's a good season it's a good place to be and uh we're gonna have one more episode before christmas but i'm hoping that you're all getting excited about it and enjoying specialness and what what do we what do we suggest to those listeners right now who are entering this season and and feeling more alone whether they've kind of hit a low spot, whether they've had a disclosure and feel like they are more disconnected from their family than they ever have been. What do they do? Yeah. Uh, If you're a guy, anyway, uh, pull into the brotherhood. If you aren't attending online Samson meetings, go ahead to samsonsociety.org, attend a newcomer meeting, get yourself through the door and meet some of the greatest men in the world. Uh, and actually, uh, there is also a, a, a rapidly growing fellowship of women, uh, girlfriends, spouses of Samson guys. So, uh, and we'll be talking some more about that in upcoming episodes. But find fellowship, even if uh, if sexual intimacy is off the table, emotional intimacy, which, by the way, is far more fulfilling, is still available. Resist the urge to pull away, to go into the darkness, to medicate. Instead, move toward trustworthy people. And uh, if you don't have any close at hand, then go ahead online to samsonsociety.org and find some guys you can trust. And don't be afraid to tell some brothers, again, you're going to have to press into being around some other folks, but don't be afraid to tell people, I don't have a place to be on Christmas if you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this could be a first Christmas for some folks where they find themselves uh, divorced and maybe they get to be around their kids on Christmas Eve, but not Christmas Day. And they're not sure what they're doing. Uh, man, we we started having some folks over on Christmas Day that we're in those situations and Thanksgiving and Easter. Uh, and I don't think it's because we were good people. It was because folks let us know and it never detracted from our day, but I wouldn't have invited them because I would have never known. I mean, that's weird. You don't just walk up to people and say, do you have somewhere to be? You can come to my house. 
you have to initiate that conversation. And I know it's scary, but even if it's to a group of guys, if you say, hey, I just want to let you all know, I, I don't have a place to be on Christmas Day and I don't want to be alone mm. um, and see what happens. But you've got to ask. All right. Okay. Well, hey, we do love listen, uh, uh, hearing from our listeners. You can always reach us at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, give us any feedback, any encouragement, any suggestions. This is a group effort, and uh, all the work on this podcast is done by volunteers. We're so grateful, Aaron and I, to sh- the way Sean P- Parks has stepped in to produce the podcast. Uh, he's really polishing it up. He's doing a lot of that work that Aaron was doing for years. Uh, and we rely on the listeners too. You're a part of this. So any idea you have, any constructive suggestion that you can send, go ahead, take a few minutes and write to us at pirate monk podcast at gmail.com. Well, until next time, then uh, I guess this is it. I'm Nate. <laughs> I'm Aaron. That's kind of a weird ending. That's a okay. Yeah, it, was, it was almost like you're about to say, "I'm the positive sobriety podcast." <laughs> that's usually what you say when you're confused about what's happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm due in an online meeting in four minutes. That's what's happening. So until next time, I'm Nate. I'm still Aaron. Okay, and we're still your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. Pirate Monk Podcast.